This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. You are speaking to, or listening to, or tuned into Madam Adams. I am Cindy Adams from the New York Post, who writes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and has been there since Abraham Lincoln's day. And I am now on every Sunday on WABC from 1 to 2. And right now, I'm going to tell you about the holidays in general. Some celebrities grab personal pleasures, like Brad Pitt. He stays home, not going out. He likes to watch food channels. He says, once you get into it, cooking is a real art form. This I never thought of. I don't cook either. David Duchovny says he likes home shopping channels. Eminem animals. He used to watch TV's Pit Rescue, whatever that is. Julia Roberts is into daytime soaps. Kate Blanchett plays gin and bakes bread, probably not at the same time. And besides money, Bill Gates collects Star Trek Drek. Nicholas Cage, he's into mindless channel surfing. He says, I know this is awful, but nothing else relaxes me. It's a slideshow. It's like having a giant video jukebox. Ah, okay. Selma Hayek told the Halifax Daily News, which who even knew they had Halifax Daily News, said, I am a shopping addict. My house is filled with exercise, equipment, and TV-advertised rotisserie cookers. My friends had an intervention, and they said, we have to stop you from doing this. Penelope Cruz, she likes to go bowling. She says, Matt Damon taught me. Now I adore it. Callista Flockhart, she plays ping pong. Pamela Anderson, remember Pamela Anderson? She says she does Feather, feather, feather bowling. What? Feather bowling. I don't know what that is, but she says Kid Rock taught her. Whatever the hell's feather bowling, and I have a feeling Kid Rock taught her some other things. Christy Turlington collects pottery. James Woods, you won't believe it, but I like doing dishes. When you're done, you've actually achieved something, and it gives you time to ruminate. Yeah, well, may he schlep over to my house. Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise, John Travolta, they're pilots. They fly their own planes. William H. Macy, wood-turning, wood-turning, or wood-chopping, or wood-something. I don't remember exactly what he said. Wood-something. He says, I even bought a lathe, and in turning this kind of wood, Fits my attention span. He says, I think I have the mind of a chimpanzee. What can I tell you? That's what he said. Terry Gar said, I am ashamed of my horrible habit. I play solitaire on the computer. Okay, we keep going. Salma Hayek, she is into religious symbols. I guess she collects them or kneels to them. Jennifer Love Hewitt collects Dolls. Kelsey Grammer, first editions. Jennifer Tilly, hats 
from the 20s. Sarah Michelle Geller, Antique Books. Callista Flockhart reads tarot cards. Lucy Liu plays the accordion. How much can you schlep that to a party, an accordion? Shaquille O'Neal fishing, but he says he won't touch any worms as bait. So I don't know how he gets the worms on the rod, but I guess that's his problem. Mick Jagger bakes homemade jams and jellies, which he gives to friends. Oh, that's so nice. Onward, Will Smith, Madonna, Sting. They play chess. Madonna plays chess. Uma Thurman, Gardening. Alicia Silverstone. When I'm low, I take all my clothes off and I do naked gardening. Listen, I don't know where she lives. I'm just telling you what she does. H.R.H. Prince William the King, the King Light, he does photography. Sir Michael Caine is an avid cook. He uses herbs and spices. He grows himself. Rosie Greer, needlepoint. Oh, needlepoint for a former big, tall, tough NFL giant. Needlepoint. Keanu Reeves, he does crossword puzzles. Sandra Bullock can knit a sweater in two days. Julianne Moore, also knitting. Russell Crowe, also. When Russell Crowe's wife was pregnant, he knit and pearled booties, matching cap, and a baby blanket. <laughs> uh, Leanne Rhymes, I like doing laundry and taking everything out of the dryer while it's still warm, and may she meet my housekeeper who could use her. Brendan Fraser, extensive collection of vintage Polaroids he does. John Malkovich makes cakes and flower arrangements, but he says, my main interests are shopping and sewing. That's John Malkovich. And the hobby, plus part-time getaway relaxation of Delaware's Joe Biden, his hobby, his relaxation is being president. Listen, I now have to go to a station break, and I am going to talk to Samuel Jackson's wife, who directed a Broadway play, and I will be back in two seconds. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now about to speak with movie star Samuel Jackson's wife, LaTanya Richardson. She is a wonderful director with a new play on Broadway called August Wilson's The Piano Lesson. It's at the Ethel Barrymore Theater, and I saw the play, and I loved it, and I love LaTanya. You were marvelous. I sat through your show last night at the Ethel Barrymore Theater, August oh, you Wilson. Went last, you came last night? Yes, I mean, yes, I did. I wanted to see it again. It was fabulous. There were, the audience was jammed, packed. Nobody coughed. Nobody moved for the nearly three hours. Not a rustle of anybody. That's how vi vibrant it was. Oh, I know. I'm excited. We finally, you know, we found our rhythm. Uh, not having, are we talking? Not having had the benefit of a workshop, which I really 
you know, before COVID, we were going to do a workshop with it. Yeah. Um, because John David had never done a play, but we, so we were, you know, the workshop for me is all always special and we didn't get a chance to do that. Then our rehearsal time was good. I'm not trying to qualify, but now, you know, so when we started with the, uh, even with the opening and through previews, it was still a rehearsal process for us while we tried to ground the play. So we kept working at it. That's why I'm still there. While I'm still here, they said, we haven't had a director that, you know, is like so consciously on board. Like I said, yeah, because I'm trying to complete the vision. (laughs) Honey, you were terrific. The show is terrific. Where are you from? Where were you born? California, New York, where? Georgia. What's in Georgia? Okay, okay, we're okay. Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, I heard sure. of it. What did your parents yeah. do? Oh, my! I was raised by my grandparents primarily. My grandmother was a cook, and my grandfather worked for Beck and Greg Hardware, and they raised three incredible children. My mother was a nurse. My um, uncle ran the post office, and my aunt was the head of media studies for the Board of Education. Those were the grandparents' kids. And what is the genesis of that great name, LaTanya? Where did that come my from? My mother, my my father was a Marine, and he was in Germany. And he sent home, they always said, well, you know, your mom got it wrong. Uh, he said, <laughs> my name was supposed to be Sonia. And she thought it was L.A. She thought it was LaTanya. Oh, and I didn't know that That's story. the truth. And she so she put it. She said, now make the cap- C capital. I said, how did you figure that that was out of Sonia? It was his writing. And I said, it was just in his writing. But he ended up saying, you know, you was, was supposed to be named Sonia. Well, this is a much classier name than Sonia. <laughs> how the hell did you get into show business? How? What happened? Uh, I started um, by a teacher, Georgia Allen, in the Atlanta educational system, who was one of my school teachers, took me to Spelman College, where I graduated from. She took me over there when I was 14 years old and became a part of children's theater. Uh, Before then, because I was able to remember things, thank God, uh, when I was younger, um, from our church, it pageant all the Christmas programs, the Easter programs, and whatever. I was always one of the uh, persons who did the narration from the Bible or from uh, poems or whatever. So from the time that I was at the Presbyterian kindergarten, nursery and kindergarten, I can remember performing at Spelman at the nursery. They had a nursery, and in Atlanta, you know, the little schools would visit the other schools. And I remember in nursery school going over there and performing this old man. I never forgot that. This old man, he played one, he played that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, full circle, I ended up graduating from college there. Well, and isn't that where you met Sam Jackson? That is totally where I met Sam, and uh, the rest is history. We've been together now for 52 years. Oh, my God. Oh, 52. Oh, my God. Oh, my. I don't even have that many teeth. Do you <laughs> Do you remember, do you remember ever blowing a line? Now you're a director, your husband's a big star, and so are you. But do you remember ever blowing a line or screwing up on stage? Of course. Are you kidding me? Listen, this is what I tell actors all the time. And I'm like, listen, stay in the moment. Because the minute that you think about something else and take yourself out, you run the great risk, greater risk of going up, as we call it of forgetting where you are. 
I did that in To Kill a Mockingbird, but I only did it once. I only did it once. I was standing and I was getting ready. Boo Rally was about to leave, was about to come into the house. And they said, you know, and I, he came to the door and uh, Scout was with him at the door. And I opened the door and I had thought about something else. I don't know what I was thinking about. And all of a sudden, I, I'm supposed to say, uh, boo. And I couldn't remember his name. I said, oh, fuck. Yeah, well, so it's happened. something like, you. <laughs> <laughs> you. Okay. Did they cover for you, honey? <laughs> yes, yes. Like, oh, you. Oh, hey, you know that we share some friends together. Of and course. do you know that your birthday is the same birthday as our mutual friend, Judge Judy? Same day? Of course I do, and we always call each other. And do you know that that's also the birthday of my Yorkie dog the same day? What's your Yorkie dog's name? My Jelly Bean. Jelly Bean. (laughs) And so everybody gets presents the same day. Anyway, okay. What does Jelly Bean get? Oh, honey, he gets everything. He owns my house and I live in a penthouse. He has it all. I love him much more than, with great respect, I even loved my husband. Much more. That's how much I love him. Here you go. And we know what a legendary relationship that was. You too, sweetie. a lot. (laughs) Okay, back to the piano lesson. Tell me about it. I don't understand how you direct a husband day and night you're together what do you do at home you sit and run lines no not at all now that's one thing we never have done he is not that guy and thank god in his area dishes nature of learning lines the way he does he doesn't want you to we you know the only thing that i will say that we talk about or have talked about in this incarnation with me directing the play are notes so that I can do notes at the theater, especially for time. Then I can do notes at home with him without having to go over his. You know what I mean? Because you sit there with the cast and you try to figure it out. Now, initially, I, you know, I just started giving notes during rehearsal, and I didn't think it was going to be an issue, but he did challenge me. He was like, well, why am I, would I do that if blah, blah, blah? I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you see the rest of these actors sitting here just listening to me? You're supposed to be listening. I I, I don't know how you could do that. I mean, sitting in in bed or wherever you're you're telling him how to correct a line. It just doesn't seem normal. Uh, But listen, what we do is not normal. (laughs) Okay. I don't don't want to get into that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) How did you get to do the piano lesson in the first place? How did you get to direct it? Uh, It was a gift. When I tell you it was one of the greatest gifts I have ever been given by Denzel Washington and Scott Rudin. And um, they asked me, this was before the pandemic, and you know once everything that occurred during the pandemic with with all of the hoopla of canceling and all of this, we ended up with, uh, Brian Moreland, Tom Curtahy, and Sonia Friedman as producers, and um, which was a little different. I got the show was Denzel and Scott, and it was the greatest moment that for them to have had that kind of confidence in me because they both knew I wanted to direct, and 
you know, Denzel knew that this was uh, the beginning for John David, and he said, I just wanted to make sure that he was put in the hands of someone who would nurture his talent if he had any in that regard, which we end up saying, of course he did, that would nurture him and put him on the right path of this, that it wouldn't be someone who would just, you know, destroy his confidence or not give him what he needed in the moment. And, he, and I think that's you. Weren't, weren't you a little scared to direct something as major as this? I guess maybe in my foolishness of being a black woman in America, I was not. Uh, because there have been too many other things that would make me afraid. So this was not one. Working has never been one. And directing uh, was just a matter of life for me. I told the actors, you know, initially, I said, look, this is how I live my life. Everything I do is connected. So the, the way that I have had to be in charge of so many issues, navigating my life, this is just another piece of it, of being in charge and navigating that. So, no, it was just a different venue. I mean, to, to have all of the moving parts, I, I build houses, so I'm like, well, I know how to handle contractors, so I can handle all these designers. It's, it's a collaboration anyway, and I think that that was a God-given gift to me to be able to be in a room of people and sort of just allow the room to organically take shape and guide it through, because that's all the director's doing. You you have a vision. You know, the script you're given from, which is August's words, was sacrosanct, first of all, to me and how they are delivered. So what was his intention? I, I, I you know, I knew what that was. And then the vision was my reimagining the play for New Generation. So, no, I wasn't afraid. Did, I was hopeful. Did you ever, ever, ever think of anyone other than Samuel Jackson playing the lead role? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, no, that's pretty mean, good. He okay. The lead, the lead is John Davis. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But, but we all become, be, we all go because it's Samuel Jackson. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're not we going for anything him. else. I, can't you see him though? I, I, I said now it's full circle. It's time for you to be Doker. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was great. Why is it a limited engagement? It's over in January. Uh, you know, we got movie stars. <laughs> oh, what's you going yeah, well, to go? Oh, yeah, sorry like about he that. Says, yeah. He has to go where the bills get paid. <laughs> Speaking of the bills getting paid, what are you doing in our glorious, wonderful New York City? Are you schlepping into department stores? Are you eating in our restaurants? Do you go out late of after the I'm show? I'm eating in the restaurants. I am definitely eating too much in the restaurants and drinking, I might add. Oh, well, um, listen. This is like a big cocktail time. I said, is everybody here on martinis, though? That's the new, like, drink again. I said, so I am uh, still working and still promoting the show. So, you know, and I have understudies who have to be rehearsed. So my days are pretty full. And then I get to talk to people like you. Um, what do you mean understudies? Who's going to understudy Sam Jackson? Oh, we've got him. Are you kidding me? Peter J. Fernandez, who teaches at Columbia, is one of our understudies for Sam. Lots of luck. I mean, this is not Sam Jackson. <laughs> I mean, I wish you luck. No, what are you talking no. about? No, I, listen, this cast is incredible. Michael Potts, Sam, you know, Racer, Trey Byers, April Mathers, 
even little Nadia, you know, and Journey, who play the kids. It, you know, it's just an incredible company. What can I say? The night I saw the piano lesson, every single seat was taken. Nobody coughed. Nobody showed a camera. Nobody took out a phone. Have you ever had anybody disrupt it in some way like that? Coughing or some other stupid thing? Of course. You know, we get the rattling of the paper. But, you know, I think the most disruptive are the people who are late. And, you know, they come in and it's like, you know, they got to stand in front of people and walk, you know, walk. And the cast can see that. I said, for somehow, I think that people think they're watching a movie sometimes to say, you know, that the screen won't see you. But in live theater, the actors see you. It's like, you know, and it can be rather disruptive. We have to start on time because of the length of the show. And uh, so we tell people. The play starts on time. Believe that. The most grace period you're going to have is two minutes, not the, you know, five to ten that you can get in some plays. Uh, this one starts on time. So that's pretty much, you know, a couple of times, you know, it's, you, you get a phone going off, but not a lot. I must say not a lot. Well, I'll tell you, when it's three hours, a lot of people have to pee at the break. I'll tell you that. It was, yeah. a, it was a mad dash downstairs. Of course. <laughs> but everybody made it back in time. Everybody made it back in time. Tell me, the, place, the play is set in somebody's house, but it's never clear to me whose house it was. Who it's Was she their cousin? House. Yeah, they say in the beginning, it's Doker's house, and if you're, it, you know, it's it's a matter of listening closely to the lines too. She even says Doker tell him even he said I can't put him out, you know. He hasn't done anything, you know. When she's talking about Boy Willie, Bernice is talking about Boy Willie at one point. She tells Doker, tell him to leave Doker. He said I'm not going to put him out, and even Boy Willie, they they always allude to whose house it is. It's Doker's house though. And I think maybe you should, you, you know, you can read it in the program. I know they that it says takes place in um, a house in Pittsburgh belonging to the Uncle Doker or something like that. Well, lots of luck. I didn't read it that carefully. I was only interested in looking at Sam Jackson and the play. Oh, bless your heart, Cindy. You're just so kind. See there? I'm going to tell him that, too. He's out today working on Capital One. Where, where do you keep your awards, sweetie? I mean, there's an awful lot of them. What awards? Well, I mean, Sam has a few. Oh, well, that's L.A. Yeah, we, you know, we have honors from, you know, I've got my Tony stuff, but the uh, honors from um, our philanthropy work, but his awards are in a case in L.A. Our house is in L.A., so... You know, we have, we're grateful to have a condo here in New York. I love New York. Um, but the awards are all there, are all in L.A. In a case, in his office. Oh, I know all about your house in L.A. I mean, Tony and David and Judy and, uh, I mean, I know all about this. I just thought I'd find out if you had anything <laughs> else to say. Whenever you're out there, you're more than welcome. <laughs> Thanks, honey. How did you handle the pandemic? How did you? Did you have any bad time with it? No, you know, we didn't. We didn't get COVID. And that was going to be a trial. I thought for, because all I could think was we are so used to being apart for X number of months during the year. 
usually I'm either working on a play in New York or he's shooting a film somewhere. I said, lockdown, really? Us here together that long? That had not <laughs> happened to us for a long time, you know? So that was new, but it worked out. I said, thank God this house is this big, though. Are you backstage every night? Uh, a lot of the nights, but only because sometimes there are things that, that um, the stage manager has asked me to watch for or people who come from L.A. or from Atlanta, they'll call and say, will you be there or will you come or, you know, so I feel guilty. So I'll like come like at the end, right before the end, so I can see the people after the play or something. But I'm here a lot. I'm there to play a lot. Where are you both going after this? I mean, it's just a magnificent play here. Where are you going? What are you doing? I know he's a movie star, and I know you're a big director, but since I'm well, a simple you, little person. Director. No, no, this is, look, I, you're at the beginning of this with me. You can say, I remember when she started. With you. This, was my, this is my first Broadway show. Listen, so, I can remember when Alexander Hamilton started, so don't tell me what I remember. <laughs> I remember uh, back when Jesus was, was walking around. No, no, Cindy, not true. <laughs> but I'm just saying... You can say I did one of her first interviews. Um, I I hope, I, I've been so blessed. God has been so good to me. I've been so blessed. Let me just tell you, from the beginning of all of this, he's had his hand on everything that I've done. And so far, I'm sitting here now holding two scripts that I can't even talk about of offers for me to direct Broadway shows. I'm like, oh, my God, really? Okay, so. if these are scripts you can't talk about, what are you supposed to not talk about doing, starring in it or directing in it? Oh, no, directing. Directing. Um, I have no intention of acting in a play except one, and that's for Kenny Leon, who is all over everything all over Broadway. Next fall, a show that he is doing called Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death. Uh, I did the workshop with them in something like April or May, I think we did the workshop. And um, so I'm for, I'm pretty much committed to being that. Actually. Are you going to be with us in New York? Of course, on Broadway. Uh, so do you two beauties, when you're home alone, do you run lines with each other? No, we don't. We watch movies. Like what? Like what? Only something your husband's in? Uh, no. We watch, like, because we're both in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, you know, we have to watch all of the Academy films. And, uh, so we're great, you know, cinephiles. Uh, we just didn't watch movies. And, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. Brittany Griner was released today, so, you know, we woke up with that this morning. And we're pretty active politically. So there's a lot of stuff for us to talk about, including uh, if we come home, what happened at the play, you know, during mostly now, well, how was the show tonight? You know, that kind of thing. Well, how does it go differently? How does it go differently? How does it go differently? Somebody dropped something or how does it go when, when there's something that happens on stage? 
uh, or something that happens in the audience or, oh. you know, he'll we'll just say, oh, what did this feel like tonight? You know, we had a great run tonight. You know, uh, it was a little slow in this area. It was a little, you know, we found, you know, we had great real this area, you know, just. You know, the play itself, the play, that's what's so beautiful about a theater experience. It's so alive and organic in each time it's done. So there's, you know, and it will be never look like that again. Well, I have to tell you that I thank Judy and I thank Tony and David and all of our mutual friends yes. for arranging this interview. I was so eager to meet you on the radio, sweetie. You've been so good and kind to even entertain me today, Cindy. And I thank you, and I look forward to uh, the birthday greeting for Jelly Bean next year. <laughs> that you know, you. Now that I know that he exists or she exists, Jellybean, happy birthday. A belated happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you, LaTanya, and thank you for coming right, on. Charlotte. Thanks, thank sweetie. Thank you. Okay, happy honey. Happy holidays. You too, sweetie. Bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now about to speak to Maine Anders. Maine as in M-A-I-N-E but Maine, as she is an M-A-I-N attraction, she is a hotshot burlesque dancer. And she once told me she's going to keep doing it as long as she's alive. Where are you working at the moment, sweetie? Oh, uh, well, I have a couple of residencies in the city. I have two residencies at Bathtub Gin. It's a speakeasy. The front of the place is a coffee shop, and then you walk through a door, and you're, it opens up to this beautiful cocktail lounge. And the other place that I have a residency is Kobe Club. That's also in Chelsea, another speakeasy. And I have House of Yes. I host that show. It's a show called Dirty Circus. And it's on Wednesdays. I'm afraid to ask, what does Dirty Circus stand for? Well, you know, it's not your Barnum and Bailey situation. It's not like a Barnum. Is that, was that what they call it? That the one with all the zoo animals? Yeah. Well, whatever. Who cares what they call it? Go ahead. It's 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 for the adult. <laughs> okay. 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 You can start for anybody who might not have seen your work. How did you start in the first place, sweetie? You know, I didn't even know that I was doing burlesque until one day I was performing at a nightclub called The Limelight, and I was a go-go dancer there. And when I was done performing, someone asked me to do their burlesque show, and I said yes because I was, you know, young and fresh and straight from Georgia and wet behind the ears, and I said yes not knowing what it was because, you know, always take the gig. And... I ended up realizing that I was doing burlesque, which means stripping it down to pasties and a thong, lots of rhinestones and feathers, and just being the ultimate showgirl. Yeah, but if you had never done it before, I mean, my body is not really right for doing all of this. But if somebody asked me to do it right now, I wouldn't know what to do. How did you know for the first, the first shot what you're supposed to do? Well, I think that it's something that I probably had in my blood from the time I was in the womb. But I, okay. I grew up watching all these amazing 
movies like Sweet Charity and Flashdance and, I mean, Breakfast at Tiffany's when Audrey Hepburn leans over and she says, do you think she's handsomely paid? So I was always drawn <laughs> to, you know, Gigi and all these iconic films, and they were always showgirls. So I think that I, I just wanted to emulate those characters, and I always wanted to move to New York, and I just took a chance and went with it. It felt right. So in case somebody doesn't know your, your background, why don't you tell us how you started and where are you from? I know, I know how you started. Where are you from and where did you go to school and what were your parents like, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, so I, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up in the suburbs yeah. in Marietta, Georgia. And my parents, my mom was an educator. My dad was a dentist. And so they were very strict about me going to college. So I went to school for cultural anthropology with a minor in Spanish. I got a National Science Foundation grant to study in Oaxaca, Mexico for the summer. I presented papers all over the country, national papers, and I was on my way to grad school at University of Michigan and uh, decided to take a sharp turn to New York City and become a showgirl. And my parents... I mean, this is a, like a large, this is a large leap from science and anthropology. I mean, shaking it and showing it. How do you, how do you do that if you're studying science and anthropology? What did I miss here? Well, I always, I was always a dancer. I studied ballet when I was a kid, really young, and I was always drawn to dance. So I learned African, belly dance, samba modern. I loved Fosse growing up. I had routines to Fosse and it was just always in me. When I was probably in middle school or high school, my older sister, Charla, introduced me to Josephine Baker and Alvin Ailey oh and Catherine Dunham. And Catherine Dunham, that she was best friends with Josephine Baker. She was an anthropologist and she went all over the world and studied different dance forms and wrote beautiful papers and shared those dances with people. There's actually a, a, a dance that's known as the Dunham Technique now. And she wanted to shake it. She, um, she was the choreographer for Stormy, Stormy Weather. So if your mother, she say about her child going this way. She didn't like it at all. Oh, she was. So yeah, well, I would figure. Yeah, <laughs> she said no child of mine is going to shake it on top of some bar. And I was like, well, there's a stage. Well, sometimes I've shaken it on top of bars, but don't tell her that she doesn't need to know that. <laughs> um, she got over it, though, because she came to see me at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And she came backstage. And after she saw all of the glitz and glam and the makeup bars and photographers and wardrobe she said hey kid this is major you're really doing it and she left me alone after that and fast forward she showed all her friends when I was on PBS cheek to cheek with Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga and my good friend Brian Newman that plays trumpet for her and my my burlesque sister Angie Pontani that's married to Brian so she just she gets it now I've done films because of my burlesque career I've been in the New York Times twice and stop the mist and wow i mean so many different publications that have just really celebrated what i do 
and, and what? you. <laughs> which has been on my bucket what? list, let me tell you. But so when you came to New York, you did what? You didn't know your way around New York. You didn't know anybody in New York. What was it like to, to be a, a, a young lady here alone without a job? It was pretty scary to be here. Um, I had a U-Haul, a boyfriend, a carton of cigarettes, a six-pack of beer, and uh, $20 in my pocket. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I ended up answering an ad in the back of the Village Voice. Can you believe that's when, like, oh, yeah. we still had papers? Okay. <laughs> and I answered an yeah, ad. Thank they were you. For, <laughs> yeah. They were looking for belly dancers. And I went and auditioned, and that's how I got my first dance gig in New York City at the Sound Factory, uh, a, a really big nightclub during that time. Has anybody been not nice to you? We're all worrying that the world is not as nice as it used to be, and there's a lot of difficulty going on. How has everyone been respectful or, or not? What about a guy? How, how does it work when they watch you? You know, I have to tell you, most of the time people are really respectful because they they love the glamour and they love being entertained. And I like to make it, you know, my priority to have everyone feel like they're having a great time and like they're part of the show by interacting with them. So it's a reciprocal exchange for me. I have had my time of people being rude or a little frisky with their hands and I'm not afraid to slap a hand or have someone thrown out or throw them out myself. But most of the time, men are pretty have a pretty good understanding of a no-hands no policy. The ladies, however, can get a little handsy, let me tell you, because they're like, ooh, we have the same body parts. And I'm like, but you can't touch, lady. So they still, some people still get a little frisky, but most of the time they're really, really you mean You mean the ladies reach out to touch you? Yes. Women, women are crazy. They're, they feel like, hey, we got the same thing. So let's, what's, what's a little spank or a little, little pat on the boobie? And I'm like, okay, calm down now. <laughs> the men are usually sitting on their hands with their eyes really wide. <laughs> Where does a stripper learn to strip? There's no school for it. Well, you know, there is a school for it. There are several schools all over the world. I've taught at a lot of them. There's a school that I, I teach regularly at, uh, in Reykjavik. There's the New York School of Burlesque that I teach regularly that's run by Joe Weldon. Um, there, I mean, all over, all over the world there are schools. But I have to tell you, uh, to be honest, and to quote uh, the, the legend, Tanga Ray, Stephanie Johnson, she said, you can't teach talent. So you can take the classes, but if you don't have that certain je ne sais quoi, it doesn't really go over so well. Yeah, yeah. When you become aged and your body becomes <laughs> a bit older, are you going to shake it if it shakes by itself? I'm going to tell you one thing, Cindy. When I become aged, I am going to, if they're sagging low, I'm going to flip <laughs> them over my back. And, and shake them from behind, and I'll turn around and look at everyone. I'll be a specialty act. And I'll have rhinestone tennis balls on my walker. 
<laughs> I think you're. I think you're terrific. In other words, you're not going to take a second job as a secretary anywhere, right? I don't even know how to how to type. I, yeah, I, well, I, figures. I'm, I'm, I'm a yeah yeah. I'm a poker. I skipped that class. I, I wanted to get out of school early that year, so I, I took a work program and worked at a hair salon giving uh, shampoos and shoulder rubs, legally shoulder rubs. So tell me where now can we go see you? Explain to the listeners, where are you showing your boobs and behinds and everything else? <laughs> okay, so the places I really love, Bathtub Gin, that's in Chelsea. Yeah. Cody Club, also in Chelsea. House of Yes, in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And for people that live out of town, I'll be doing... Pepper Grind Striptacular. It's the 10th annual winter striptacular in Kunamaset Ballroom. And that's going to be December 14th, 15th, 17th, and 18th at 7.30 p.m. And that's in Cape Cod. So for all of those um, lobster lovers and lobster roll lovers, they can come see me shake it out there with my good friends. There's even some boy luck in that show. I don't think that you're going to work in Utah. Are you? Oh, there's a burlesque festival in Utah as well. You're joking <laughs> with me. We are spreading. We are spreading all over. We're sparkling and we're spreading all over the world. You know, they say glitter is contagious. So we're just, just spraying everybody with glitter sparkles. Maine, I think you're adorable. And every couple of years, if I can't touch your behind or any other part of you, at least we can talk. Cindy, you're the only person that I would like be glad to spank me. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I, I want to be you when I grow up, and I, I, I just adore you, and I love you so much. Thanks, honey. Thank you, Maine. Thanks, sweetie. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Okay. Now I would like to obsess for a moment. Once upon a time, and this is my opinion, it is requested by absolutely nobody, but I don't care. Once upon a dime was this female who knew how to marry, divorce, break into showbiz, memorize a script, travel to Europe's moneyed places, but not, not know who is this red-haired prince empty over whom lackeys were all blubbering and referring to as your highness. She didn't know who he was. Oh, wow. This lady had scripts, tickets, cash, travel folders, computers, iPhones, magazines, Newspapers, TV, Google, time to investigate, knew how to play a part, work a script, hit the right place at the right season, travel internationally by herself, and not know who he was when he was the only red-haired royal highness whom everyone was kowtowing to? She didn't know him. In London, Brits who paw the same high-level ground as she told me 
and I was not alone hearing this, so I can back up what I have heard. They said they knew she had been actively out there husband hunting. Somehow her lady parts found the way. She now lives in her California sty by pawing everyone, her father, her ex-best friend, the Brits, her brother-in-law William, her sister-in-law Catherine, staffers, and Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth's entire kingdom. One day, Prince Empty will actually open his mouth and babble, and before you can say, Hell Britannia, she'll be out there again hunting. Now, we hear that Mrs. Sussex is now looking, you ready, to become a renowned global politician. Could even be she starts here in Manhattan, the international capital of the world. Could even be maybe she will open, let's say, a lingerie shop, which, because she is international, she might call Fredericks of Afghanistan. So Prince Empty and Mimi Megan flew here on a private plane, thanks to the income from expectorating on the British Kingdom, and she now has mostly whatever she needs. She lacks only soul. This is happening in New York, and I am so thrilled that we are welcoming the two of them. Now, a few other things I want to say. The Met Museum had a staff Christmas party. This is hearsay. I was not there, but I have been told this Christmas party for the Metropolitan Museum was in the front lobby where they ticket, and per one who was there said, listen, it was New York City food truck pretzels. It was smelly meat balls, over-steamed dumplings, and that's it. A staffer's wife, who was not invited because no spouses were allowed, then said employees were to eat, and she used an adjective to describe the orders. She said they were near plaques which commemorate million-dollar donations. I wasn't there. I wasn't even invited. So me, myself, I actually know nothing. One more. Income is down. Prices are oi. At West 47th's Lena Horn Theater, formerly called the Brooks Atkinson, a theater, are you ready? One Bourbon on the Rocks cost $90. No mixing, adding, or flavoring. Just plain pouring. Neat. A suggested tip was next mentioned. But comes the charm of life in a small city to wish her happy holidays, this Madison Avenue guy, 
phoned his elderly spitzer, spinster aunt. She lives in a small town in Iowa. The local Iowa operator came on the line with, I don't think she's home. Her car's gone. Listen, it's not good whether in New York or whether you're in downtown Iowa. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I'm in New York. I'm not going to Iowa, and I love you all for listening to me. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.